This is the Master Marketer Show, powered by Proofpoint Marketing. Each week, we explore the mindsets, skill sets, and tool sets the top B2B marketers use to drive results. Gain actionable insights, one masterful, revenue-generating success story at a time. Let's get started. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Master Marketer Show. Today, I've got Brian Wallace with me. Brian is the co-founder or founder. Are you founder or co-founder? It's you and your wife, right? I don't ever know. Mm-hmm. Whichever way. I'll uh, just say whatever she wants whatever to be. Whatever she wants yeah. to be. There you go. That's the right answer. Uh, co-founder of Now Sourcing. So um, we're going to be talking about content today. And Brian, you've got to, I mean, there's a number of uh, case studies you can talk about, I'm sure. There's one really interesting one I want to dive into personally, which will go there. But at a high level, what we want to talk about is content and the mindsets I think that marketers need to have and sort of the, the modern, uh, mm-hmm. busy and loud AI-based uh, generative AI content environment. Oh, you went there. I went, there, there. Huh? I, went right. there. I know I didn't, I didn't bring that up initially, but I think it's important to No, to no, know. no. Let's, let's, <clears throat> um, so, yep. you know, the, where I'll kick us mm-hmm. off is what there's a ton of content out there and it's only getting messier and noisier because of how, you know, the the barrier to entry to quote unquote, creating content is just lower and lower and lower, right? It's been getting lower with, you know, things like Canva and whatever, but now with generative AI, it's like, you can create something in five seconds or whatever. I I just want to throw my computer across the room. Correct. Congratulations. Everything looks the same. Congratulations. Which exactly is where I was going to go with this. You know, the people in my mind, at least, and I, I believe you think the same way, that are really going to win are the people that can break through that noise and that can be different. They can create things. And that word create is the important part here that are valuable and interesting, entertaining, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So let's talk mindsets. Like, wh- how should marketers be thinking about content today versus a year ago? It's almost like they should just do the complete opposite of what other people are doing. If every if like your Uber driver is telling you about what chat GBT prompt to do for your content, maybe you've missed the game or maybe you've missed the point, right? So like you were saying, just the barrier or bar to entry of this really just uninspired garbage, sameness content. Have you ever been to a landfill? I have not, but... Like it, it, I mean, just imagine in your mind's eye that we're we're podcasting from a landfill. I mean, even that would be more interesting than a lot of this content. <laughs> Take that, Chad GPT. Like, <laughs> probably would be. Well, that's that's people would be going, "What the heck is that behind you? Why are you?" It's almost like that scene in The Matrix where all of a sudden they're like, "And welcome to the real," right? And they're just like in the crap basement of like the lowest echelon where you can't see the sky anymore. Yeah, so. That's kind of what we're at. We have an ever-increasing landfill of data and content and boredom. So I have no doubt that AI will help change the game for a lot of our lower-level tasks, but it is not supposed to be a brain replacement. You know, like you have like a tool belt. Does a wrench do everything? Do you just use a hammer for everything? I mean, I guess there's some contractors that are like that, but that's called not hiring them back, right? So I think that a lot of times... 
marketers, content people, they forget how people think and they think that they need to be like, well, in my off time, I'm going to take off my Zoom shirt. I'm not going to get weird, but I'm going to take off my Zoom shirt. It's not that kind of show. I'm going to keep it clean, folks. But I take off my work shirt, my collared shirt over here. And like, I have my life and I have my interests and I have my family. I have my friends and my relationships and my interests. But then when I'm at work, then I button this back up and I'm very serious and I'm very polished and I'm very corporate. But what the heck? Like, what are we talking about? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So somehow, even though you're a human and you know how humans think and the trap door of the subconscious mind that makes up your mind and thinks about stuff before you even think about it, like what Malcolm Godwell talks about in Blink, is incredibly more powerful than rationalizing and having an argument with people that did not yet invite you to have that conversation. So I think a lot of times we shouldn't ignore how humans think, but we maybe should play into it a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's... And stand having that originality. <laughs> no, 100% agree. I, think yeah. I, I love that you brought up the, you know, taking off, putting on the shirt, uh, the uh, visual, if you will, because we especially in our in our business see this a lot because of the types of companies we work with you know we work with a lot of professional services firms and you know, you see this a lot with people in like the legal and compliance space it's like well okay just because this person is a lawyer by trade does not mean they don't watch comedy specials on Netflix or whatever you know and they don't like to laugh or and yeah I just I bring that up because that's the, the drastic example if you will but you know I, I totally agree with that it's there's still people at the end of the day. And I don't, I, I hate the whole like, Oh, P to P H to H BS that people throw out there without any actual meaning behind it. But it really is like understanding the psychology of people and how people act and how people think is really the, the thing we should all be not worried about, but we should all care about as marketers. Yeah. I mean, it's not BS if you can actually break it down more. Like if I agree with you, if you leave it abstract that it's like, oh, we're all humans and we're all together and let's sit around the campfire. Well, so, no, so, let's, like, let's do it. Let's like, break it down. Like what are Tell me, let's, let's break it down let's a little bit. Uh, tell me some of your details. Thoughts. Okay. What does that, what does it mean to be P to P and H to H all the stuff you hear with, out there without any, again, any, so I happen to like H to H because I'm buddies with Brian Kramer, who I think has gone on record as actually coining that phrase, where he says that there's no more B2B or B2C, only H to H, human to human. So the way that I break it down is different than what you're going to say and what he'll say. And he spells Brian with a Y. So this is Brian with an I speaking. So for the the tribe of I reporting today, uh, it looks like I get run of the mill on that one. So let's break down how people think, right? How do people make decisions? A lot of people walk around with these strongly held opinions and oh my gosh, like I totally believe this, we'll call it preference bingo. We could be talking about politics. We could be talking about all sorts of other hot button issues that are very divisive. We're not gonna get into playing favorites or pushing any particular agenda, but everybody has their preferences whether it's something really serious about that, or it could be as trivial as ice cream, which again, could be a holy war where, you know, you've got team vanilla, team chocolate and team, what are you talking about? There's 500 other flavors, right? So people have all these strongly held opinions that when you actually, in the final analysis of it, a lot of people don't even know like how they got there, right? So they were influenced somewhere along the way, probably by some gigantic marketing or advertising campaign, which by the way, are not the same thing which we could get into if you want, but we'll leave that on the side. 
But people are influenced by something that makes them believe that they came up with it, like the movie Inception, and they didn't. So if you know that people have strongly held opinions that are weakly rooted, that means that you can uproot their opinion for the opinion that you are trying to push your particular agenda for your B2B, B2C, or H2H. So if that's true, let's analyze how people make decisions on how they think. Most people, what they do in their day-to-day -day life, they need a product, they need a service, whether it's my toilet is backed up or I need to buy seven-figure SaaS software, blah, 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 whatever, and everything in between. One thing that they will do is they will ask their trusted circle. They might take out their phone and text people or be in a text group or WhatsApps or whatever your flavor and style of choices based on your country and your culture and your affiliations. You might post it on Facebook. You might post it on a group. And if your trusted circle doesn't know, which by the way, could we have a whole other weird tangent. Why do I ask my friends, friends could be like good friends or internet friends, everything between like a broad spectrum of our friends and trusted advisors. You ever wonder like, why do we ask our friends? Does anybody have a good mechanic? Does anybody have a good doctor? Does anybody have a good CRM system? And we ask our friends and then they give us answers, but we never vetted to know that our friends are actually good and qualified to give us the answers. That's very troublesome to me also, but I'm just mapping out because you asked for my longer form detail on how to do it. If you well, want to come back to that, we can, we, but we I, I want to get to one thing I'll throw out there is a placeholder if yeah. we have time is this is why I like, uh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever read or follow any of Ray Dalio stuff and like the, what Bridgewater does. I mean, well, that's sort of what they do supposedly internally is trying to address that, which is they, they kind of, they have like qualifiers for each person based on their experience. Like, okay. Well, they have this opinion, but are they really qualified? Like, well, how much is this opinion really worth based on what they know? This is the, the rough, right? Yeah. Usually well, sometimes not. it is. Sometimes <laughs> it is. And like, so anyway, there's an interesting tangent right. we could go down there, but let's keep going. Oh yeah. I usually tell people like if I'm mentoring people, I'm like, don't torture your friends with questions that they can't answer. So just stop it. <laughs> but again, if we go back to the abstraction and finer tuning our funnel here of conversation. So first we're diving into how people make decisions. Their first method is they go to their friends, they go to their networks, they go yeah. to their spheres of influence or people that influence them. Whether they're qualified or not, that's where they're going to. You ever see people like they'll put something out on LinkedIn and then literally it'll be like, hey, I need a graphic designer. Hey, I need a plumber. Hey, I need somebody for real estate. And then you see a bunch of people tag other people. Like I literally think there could be people that like somebody might like text you or something where it's like, Mike, quick, somebody wants recommendations. Quick, put my name in there. So, I mean, it could be completely artificially generated. And again, the way we make decisions is very flawed and we need to be aware of that because it's dangerous how stuff gets into our supposedly sacred and secure gates, which are not at all, right? So after that, after the first wave of decision-making, if you will, the next thing that people usually do, they're just going to search. They're going to go to a computer, they're gonna log into something and then they're gonna ask it a question and it's gonna spit out a result. And I could be talking about Google, I could be talking about ChatGBT, I could be talking about TikTok. The fact of the matter is all of these things are some sort of loosey-goosey nebulous search that uses some technology to match your question of intent, in this case, buying intent with an answer. Right? This is how people make decisions. So there's so many ways that we can talk about that. And there's so many ways in. So you as a marketer, knowing that 
the frailties of the human mind, do not think rationally, but think relationally and emotionally, maybe you should work with the limbic system and skipping the rational argument when they don't even know who you are, right? And a lot of times also changing the polarity of how people do business. So I am very much into content, media, organic, earned, and we'll call that bucket inbound. If you come to me, you hear about me through reputation, word of mouth, virality, cool case studies that I've helped friends and all that, I have a huge trust barometer factor going there. But if I'm cold calling you and I'm begging you, please, sir, hire me, I have like very little bargaining power. I'm probably not trusted. And even if we work together, it may not work so great. Again, I'm not against outbound. I'm not against ads. It's just philosophically like who I am, what I'm into. That's very much a thing. So I know that no, was a that was, that was, yeah, there's there, number, a number of uh, things we can dig into. Um, I, I generally agree with everything you just said. The um, One of the, the stories that just popped into my head the other day and I posted about it because um, it happens all the time is um, I, I do think people misplace like what, where search, like organic search actually plays these days. Like I, I consistently have conversations with like CEOs of consulting firms, like, you know, mid-sized consulting firms, but it doesn't really matter, I guess. And, you know, oftentimes I hear something like, oh, you know, our largest client came to us from organic search. And sometimes they know how, sometimes they don't, like it might, they don't know whether it was brand or non-brand, whatever. Sometimes they actually know it was a non-brand term, let's assume. Okay. And my question was, okay, well, how long have they been a client? Like, oh, for like 10 or 15 years. I'm like, that, that no longer applies. I'm sorry. Whatever happened 15 years ago in 2007 does not matter right now because search has a very different place today than it did then. Like, because then we didn't really have LinkedIn. We didn't have Slack groups. We didn't have all this stuff. Sure, you could have still texted or emailed somebody, but the likelihood of you doing that was still much, much lower than it is today. You were most likely going to Google first and going, you know, best, blah, 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 whatever. That ain't happening today. And it's like, okay, it's under, it's also, I think there's a, this gets my, gets us maybe into the skill set conversation. I'm curious on your thoughts on this is like understanding of where these different channels, for lack of a better word, play. And like there's a, there's a big gap in people's understanding of that. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. So let me respond on that. So I think that a lot of people tend to be like one trick ponies in terms of what they think works and what doesn't. So a lot of people, they're just like, well, I've LinkedIn. Okay, great. I only have a website. I only do Instagram. It's like, well, okay, but people are making decisions on what kind of person you are, what you stand for, what you represent, how you perform based on a variety of factors. So the power to be everywhere where they're finding consistency and seeing what they like is very powerful. So they might do what we can, I guess, loosely call due diligence, which might just mean they're going to Google you. They're going to check out some news stories. They'll look at a couple publications. They'll check, briefly look at your social. So it's not that you have to spend equal time and be everywhere and dance on TikTok and send a million WhatsApp statuses, like everybody has like their pet, whatever for everything. And that's not the point. The point is, is that you have like a professional kind of thing going on across all these different things that you can be found. Like nothing makes me matter 
and it like just drives my brain crazy than like I'm really big on LinkedIn, but then when you Google the person, like you can't find anything. Like what is that? Clubhouse was like that in the height of the pandemic. Um, it has the at least the markings, if not flat out, signal that this person is probably fraudulent. So when everybody was talking about Clubhouse at the height of the pandemic and everybody's throwing millions of dollars at it and looking at it like it's going to solve every problem in the world ever and we'll never go back to in-person again and let's just listen to on our phone to some live podcasty thing. You had all these people that like their avatar was literally like a picture of them like photoshopped onto the cover of Forbes or something. And it's like, if you're on the cover of Forbes, everybody knows who you are. And you probably wouldn't use that as a profile <laughs> picture. And if I can't find you on any social network and you signed up for Twitter two weeks ago and you show up with no Google results, something doesn't add up. Yep. No, I, I totally agree with you. Like it's, I think you, everybody needs to, I think there's this happy medium. You have to pick what your core lane is or lanes, if you will, yep. right? Because the average person can't be everywhere, right? Unless you're whatever, Gary Vee, and you've got 55 people or whatever managing all your channels yeah, or whatever. if you have a theatrical yeah. production company of dozens exactly. of people, sure. But like the average person, like, okay, like, like I'm thinking of myself, it's LinkedIn and we have our, we have a couple of different podcast properties and that, that's kind of our core plus the website. Right. I do have a LinkedIn profile and you can, and it is, sort of optimized and people can find me. There's a number of other, you know, articles and whatever. Like, am I the best example of this? Eh, maybe not. But it's at least decent where you've got these different, uh, I don't know what the best word for it is, but kind of proof points, if you will, for, okay, this person's legit, right? Or at least they're a real person and they've been around for a while and they get it, right? Even though they're not mm. everywhere, right? You're not going to find me on TikTok at this point, for example. But um, other than that, I've got stuff out there. Like if I had to summarize what you were getting at is you really have to think about creating content in a way that really addresses the psychology of how people think and how they make decisions. And that gets outside of that strict professional sphere, if you will. Um, you know, before we, before we jumped on and started recording, I mentioned like, in my mind, it's a lot about um, thinking more like a creator. Because if you look at these like top creators out there, they really understand their audience from a psychology perspective. Like, I don't think, I don't think there's a, they're probably better than a psychologist even, you know? So what would, I guess, one, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that the world needs business people and marketing type people and also creators. And I think they're like, they're almost like both sides of the same mind. So a lot of creatives and creators are great at like, you know, just being mad scientists and coming up with crazy videos and viral campaigns and whatever. And then they might have like 50 million TikTok views and got paid 25 cents for it. So a lot of them don't necessarily know what makes people think about how to buy things and they don't know how to translate their skills into successful business models. I've seen this over and over again for YouTubers and podcasters. I know we're on a podcast, I'm not picking money, <laughs> but I'm just saying like, like you just have people like, they would have a big website and they would blog and then more people would come and then they'd blog some more and like, I'm sure it's great for your ego and you, you know, pat yourself on your back. And then they throw up like a couple of little like ad blocks or sponsored this and that. And you know, you could just do the math 
because you can look at their media kit, you can look at how much they're charging for sponsorship, and there's X number of sponsors. So a lot of these people, like, they're just not getting by. I mean, I know you have, like, the Mr. Beast of the world, and he's coming up with all sorts of product lines and food and all this stuff. But that's one person, right? Like, the, I mean, okay, he has, like, a whole company, but it's one creator, not most of them, not the other 99%. And then you have things like Patreon, right? And I'm not putting that under the bus. I'm just using that particular company as an illustration of it's supposed to be there to support and protect because we think of creators as like artists, like we're back in France hundreds of years ago and we're talking about, you know, impressionism and all that stuff. And that's wonderful. And we would have a patron and the patron would sponsor the art, right? Great. But, you know, like if you're just spending $5 to get like the special extra video and they say your name at the end, like, come on, like, it's some good side money, I guess, but I don't think anybody's like making a, a true living off yeah, of that. No, that's, that's, a, that's a very good point. No, I think yeah. it's the, the reality. I, at one point, I, maybe a year, a couple of years ago, I saw an article that talked about like, yeah, you know, the yes, Patreon and other like the sub stacks and all this kind of stuff. They're, um, they're meant to be creator friendly and help creators make money. But the reality is like 90, whatever, some percent of them, like it's like it's like real estate, you know. The average real estate agent I mean, makes like this, right? It's to buy me a yeah, couple. Like the, the, the average real estate agent makes barely whatever, what fifteen twenty thousand dollars a year, or something like that, and they sell like sure. one house every two years or something, uh, something right. of that nature. I think it's it's the same kind of thing there. Um, that, that's that's a very valid point. I guess what, what I was sort of getting at is I think you have to. I totally agree. You need both. I think uh, my thought is marketers need to understand the creator mindset and understand how to create. Yes. Because most of them just ignore that completely. Oh, yeah. No, let's go there, too. So as much as creators, I might have painted the picture that they don't know anything, without the creative mind, we could just have ChatGBT write everything for us, and both of us could just sit on the beach, and we would have our 3D models just talking about whatever in our voice and whatever it would predict it next, and we would say all sorts of nonsensical information that nobody would listen to. So let's do it. <laughs> no, it's not Mike, you gave us away. Now we have to like show back up. Oh man, it's, uh, so much for our day. Anyway, well, we can't have nice things. Thanks, AI. So yeah, I mean, without that creative mindset, without the ability to think differently about caring about what your community wants, then yeah, as a marketer, as somebody in business, like you're not going to understand. And a lot of times, I think the market does a bad job of explaining itself as a market companies usually get a little salesy and heavy-handed and they don't really know how to talk about them in novel ways to relate to people rather than talk over their head with a lexicon of stupid words that nobody understands so there's a lot to say about that yeah for sure so, so let's uh, let's talk skill sets a little bit so if we are Let's, let's play it. Let's do a hypothetical situation. Yeah. You are uh, at a, at a company, you're building out a marketing team. Maybe you've got, you know, so whatever you're the head of growth or head of marketing sure. and you've got budget to hire two people. Mm-hmm. What skill sets do you want those people to have? Oh, come on, man. Give me some more details. Uh, it depends all on right. the company. It depends on the team. All right, fair enough. So, all right, let's, let's play this out here. Uh, well, let, let, let's go with our kind of, niche, if you will, here. So you're a small to mid-size uh, technical consulting group. 
Okay. And you've got a, you're a VP of marketing or marketing director and you've got budget to hire two people. What skill sets are you looking for? Hmm. So I have to make sure that I am or hire some kind of marketing quarterback person. So I think a lot of people skip this. Like they go straight to like all the technical tools. So it's like, well, I need somebody to write white papers. I need somebody to write blog posts. I need a videographer. I need this. I need that. And then like, but how often do you like need each piece of it? Not necessarily. So like I have to understand what the goal is in mind according to actual business KPIs, not how many freaking Facebook likes I get or something. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, what is it I'm trying to do to grow the business? So I do this specific the kind of technical consulting. All right, cool. How do people find that? How do they search for it? Does LinkedIn work for that? Does TikTok work for that? Do ads work for that? Do infographics work for that? Do white paper, eBooks, how do, what's the search volume, right? So I would look at this holistically and then I, as the strategist, would probably put together a team where I have to make sure, I don't know. So I have a, a little bit of a, chip on my shoulders when it comes to certain things like this. So I think a lot of the marketing world like hires these gigantic places and they're not great at a lot of things. And I think companies and senior marketers at these companies are getting smarter and they look for specific kinds of specialists. So I think a lot of times, rather than having all of it on their team, they might be able to get that from other places. So I think it does make a lot of sense to get certain kinds of specialists. So I think that they definitely need to have somebody that is very creative from a graphical perspective, very creative from a content perspective, and I think video and social. How that actually manifests in terms of, is it part of your team, is it an extension of your team? I don't know. I don't think that that is as relevant, but you have to have somebody at your organization you as the C-suite, you as your senior marketer that you hire, somebody has to know what to recommend. Otherwise, 100 marketers are going to line up. Everybody's going to sell you on whatever they're good at or not good at, even worse. And then you're just at their mercy, especially like the SMB market. I think that because their budgets are generally less, they just get screwed by whatever the marketer of the month comes. I feel like half of my day is just being the mental health professional taking a hit for like all the bad marketers of the world before even getting a chance to talk. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very valid point. It's something I've, again, we see this all the time. A lot of these companies, they'll cycle through like, you know, specialist manager level marketing leaders, if you will, because it's, they're thinking exactly how you're describing. It's often, uh, you know, we need sales decks and we need eBooks or whatever we need to update our website. Like they're thinking very, very tactically and like, okay, well, who can, who can check as many of these boxes as possible? Great. Let's get that person in here. And we're just going to, we're just going to execute without really themselves understanding how marketing supports the business, but then also hiring somebody that doesn't understand how marketing can support the business. Right. And you know, can I throw something else in here that I think is important? Please. I think that, too many times people hire based on like a fit of skill as opposed to like a fit for the business. So you can have the most talented person in the world that can be the most poisonous person in the world in your organization and people will quit over it. Everybody will fight. And it's horrifying. Like having the wrong fit of person, you have to have somebody that actually genuinely cares about your biz. 
Like one of the main things I always ask people when they're coming in the door or before they actually come in the door and like on the interview side, I'm just like, there's like millions of places of hiring. Like, why do you care about this? And so like, why do you want to be here? It should be like more than like, well, I want money. It's like, all right, well, like go drive an Uber or something. Like, why do you, am I literally just hiring you? So you're going to like sit at that desk over there and then like, just be like surfing job ads, like on my dime. That's silly. And I ask people like, Name like anything that we've done recently, any client, any work. What is it that you like that we did? This means attention to detail. If you can't tell me that you did like a one minute search of my website or socials or podcasts or anything, how are you ever going to pay attention enough to be awake to do any kind of campaign for other people? Right. So I think since we are talking about skill set, I don't think that we want to overlook that as a skill set. Cause I think, like you said, everybody's like running into the technicals and everybody's like running into all the deliverables and artifacts. And it's like, well, I mean, like you and I are like married to our partners in the business, but like, you're not married to the people at work, but you sure are going to spend a lot of time with them. So if you genuinely dislike these people, maybe don't bring them into your door or remote work door slack whatever yeah yeah i mean we, we can have a whole separate hour-long yeah, conversation no, around right. how culture impacts absolutely yeah revenue and all this kind of yep. stuff which actually if we're, we're going to be talking to somebody about that hopefully oh, pretty soon cool. that should be a fun i got to tune in on that one that's cool uh i'll let you know when that comes Please. out hopefully in the next month or so scheduling dependent yeah. anyhow um let, let's talk dive a little bit deeper on the skill set side for the creative, if you will. Mm. Right. I mean, I think we can easily talk about, you know, video this and design that, but maybe outside of the, the technical skill set, what else do you think people should be looking for as like, how do you identify somebody who's got that creator mindset as a marketer? Mm. So, yeah, I think it isn't about the tactics. It's really understanding what humanity wants. So like what I do I look at the company, I look at the competitive marketplace, I look at the industry, and I often think that the entire industry isn't telling the whole story. So I like going to the chiropractor and I've thought about like, if I ever did stuff for somebody like that, what would I do? So a lot of those guys, they operate based on their geographic region because you have to drive, like you're not going to fly across the country or the world to like go to the chiropractor. I mean, I guess you could, but that's kind of weird. So, okay. So we know that it's like a driving radius of half hour, hour, or whatever, probably not more than that. Right. So there's the local market and then there's like, you know, just these boring listicles, 10 things that you should ask your chiropractor, blah, blah, blah. But often as this example or any example, I think that there's a total addressable market that's bigger than the market, which is better than everything that everybody's explaining, let alone you. So what if you just did something where you taught humanity, if a lot of humanity thinks that, let's say chiropractic is BS or something, if you taught humanity to think differently on it, remember like those strongly held opinions, wouldn't you do great? So I think that really understanding the place in the world of the company and the market and the my argument that there's a bigger market than the market and then what do all these people care about so a lot of different avatars of people have to see themselves in whatever you're trying to say 
So there could be the end market target buyer, there could be the media, there could be different things in social, right? So there's all of these different people that have to see themselves in it. So forgetting about what style, format, text, video, rich media, graphic, whatever, that's irrelevant, right? What message are you trying to get across? Is it the same message for everybody? And the chances are no, right? So I think people tend to get lazy about, like, could you imagine if we were standing at the start of a marathon and everybody just like sat there for a minute and then started to walk? That's what most people's ideation looks like to me. It's like just the lazy titles and like not trying that hard. And it's like, no, like tons of the action should happen before you get to the deliverable, whatever that artifact is, whatever that piece of content is. Right. So a lot of times people are like, what's the best thing to post? What's the best time to post? A lot of times to come up with a better idea. Have you truly captured the idea that you're trying to make memorable? Because that's what we're really trying to do, right? How do you make an incredibly memorable connection with people? To educate them, to show them that you care, to show them that you've given a gift to them, right? So a lot of times when you educate a market, they're like, wow, I'm gonna hold on to this content forever. I'm gonna spread it around. And uh, something I like to say is generosity, right? Which is a lot of that giving over content. So a lot of people, they're like, well, why would you ever give out all these tips? It's like, because why, why wouldn't you? I think that having an abundance mentality on that, as cliche as that might sound, <laughs> is incredibly important for the world because, I mean, isn't there enough business to go around for everybody, right? So yeah, a lot of people, they just, they like to take like a safe bet instead of come up with something original, they'll just copy something and copying usually is not a great thing. Yeah, it, it's a couple of things to, I guess, respond to the, the last part you said around um, like why I give things away. I, 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 the thing I always talk about is, well, are you in the content business or are you in the biotech business or whatever right. business you're in? Right. Like, do you want to make money on your content or do you want to make money on your core service or product? Exactly. Like, well, no, no, we're in this business. Okay, great. But stop trying to make money on this thing. Right. Like, just give that away. That's fine. Now, there are caveats to that, like oh. whatever, let's assume you're a, you know, a dental products company and you've got classes for continuing education. Fine. Different story. That's that's part of your business model. Absolutely. And totally cool. Your protected intellectual property and right. the secret sauce, if you will. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And even then, like it's just it's just part of that market where yeah. right. you know, dental assistants or nurses or whatever, right. whatever med market you're in need continuing education or <laughs> architects or pretty much anybody that's officially licensed, right? Like totally. that can be that can be part of your business model. Fine. But unless you're there, there's really no reason for it. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of the creator and social world has warped the minds of the business people and the marketers. I think the goal is to like increase sales and revenue and growth and help humanity, not how many likes, shares, comments, and whatever, because a lot of times people get wrapped up in that. So now everybody can live stream and everybody's, everyone's famous and there's no such thing as TV networks anymore, right? So everybody can be a creator. But then we run the risk of letting that get the best of our ego. And suddenly it's just this ego battle that I just want my personal brand. Don't get me wrong. Personal branding is great, but know what you're up against 
where we already talked about like the 99%, 1% that most of these guys are not making any kind of significant money of note. So why? Yeah. I mean, you know, stick with what you're there to do, right? Keep making the donuts. Let's talk tool sets, right? This, this gets a little bit more tactical, obviously. I use the, we use the word tool sets bro, more broadly than, hey, tell me the list of SaaS tools that, you know, a marketer needs. Um, like, could be a process, could be a, a spreadsheet or whatever. I don't, I don't care. Like, same scenario we we're talking about before, right? Mid-market uh, technical consulting firm. You're the lead marketer. You're hiring a couple of people. What tool sets do you believe that are needed internally um, to be successful, to be able to think like a creator, not just think like a creator, but then act like a creator to a certain extent? In a spot like that, I think if they turn themselves into the media or being a key opinion leader, that's going to go really far. So that might not be one of the cool, sexy brands that everybody's doing glamorous Super Bowl ads, right? Like they're never going to have like a Super Bowl ad. They're never going to like when you go to the movies that there's going to be like some cool commercial or something, right? They're not going to have like famous rappers and have halftime shows. And, no, right? So people need to have respected leaders in an industry. So... Every industry has industry conferences and every industry has podcasts. And every industry has like powerful blogs and all these things. And if you're the go-to that's getting Googled in that, that's incredibly powerful because then even all of your competition is going to want you on their shows and on their blogs and like they're going to want you, they're going to seek you out at all of the conventions and stuff. So I think making a name for yourself, especially in some of the more niche industries, especially things that might not be as sexy and like some of the B2, I think like the B2B and the B2C get into this a lot. Like the business to consumers like, yeah, like we got what people want and businesses are just like, oh, this is a snooze fest because it's only B2B, right? So I think when we talk about technical consultants and stuff like that, and I'm coming from like almost a decade in the technology world before the almost 17 years that we've been in biz for the marketing side, a lot of technical and consulting stuff tends to be a bit dry. They talk in lots of acronyms. They use a whole weird lexicon of knowledge that regular humanity doesn't always talk about. So every industry just has like its rock stars, if you will, right? So I think every company should look at themselves as much as we're, I, as I said, like the downside of the creator side, if we look at the way that creativity is talked about in terms of media, if every business looked at themselves as being the media, being a media company, I think they do tremendously well. I mean, look at places like Red Bull. What does Red Bull sell? They just sell like a dumb can of some sugary water, keep you awake stuff. It doesn't literally give you wings, right? I mean, come on. Is it so different from everything else that's sitting there in whatever store or gas station that you're buying it? No. But they built a ridiculous community and they had all kinds of media and they banged But they have, they have an F1 racing team. Yeah, right. So they, they branched out. <laughs> and a soccer stuff. team and a, right. all sorts of stuff. Yeah, because they sought out all the places that cared about them. And that goes a really long way. But even if you're not Red Bull and you're like, well, come on, Brian, like, yeah, that's Red Bull and they're worth billions. I'm just one guy that's in a mid-market technical consulting role. 
okay, cool. I've been you literally years ago before I started this business. And I found that the gift of communication where industries are maybe more boring or where there's like a heavily more technical kind of role, a lot of them are not good communicators. So if you can be the good communicator in the room, you could be like a not as good technical consultant. I'm not advocating for not being good at things. Like I think you should be obviously like top of your game and like obviously hone your craft, but how that's wrapped and how that's communicated across the industry, along with all of the places that might be hiring you goes an incredibly powerful way. So what are, um, what are the tool sets of communication? If you have to list out whatever, three, four, five of them. Let's go. I'm going to lead with generosity, network, and attaining mastery at whatever it is that you're good at and that that is identifiable. And I think a lot of this lives up. Give, give me a little bit more on each of those. Sure. So I think that in terms of being memorable, so let's say you do sales, let's say you do marketing and somebody comes across you through the whole web of the internet and whatever. And then we meet in person for coffee. We meet at a conference. We meet on Zoom. We meet on Riverside. We meet through a podcast. We're introduced, whatever it is. If you can't leave an indelible mark in somebody's brain that you're memorable, you've kind of lost the game because then you just fade away in a sea of people. Like if you go to a, like I was at a conference where I think like 300,000 people a year come to, if you can't stand out among everybody else, you're forgettable. Similar to if you don't go to a conference and you're just online. So if you put something out there on LinkedIn, if it can stand out and be ridiculously memorable, as compared to everybody else posting whatever drivel, you can do incredibly well. So a lot of what you should be thinking about is an interestingness factor. And I find that interestingness and generosity are this incredible superpower. That's the first one. Second, the, fair? Second one is having a wonderful network, right? I mean, so if you've made this positive impression on people, it's not transactional and it's not today. And it might not even be that company or that context. If you have an incredible network where you are renowned by your network, where you could go to a different city and somebody would be, would love to just meet with you, or you could throw a conference in this whole other city, right? Like I'm speaking from experience. Like I can go to different places and have literally just put on conferences. I even like do things where like, if I just am in a city for not that long, I'll throw a breakfast. I'll take like a dozen cool people that don't know each other, but they all know me. Like people talk about like a, just having eggs <laughs> in a city for years. And it's amazing, right? So if you have a network and you know how to cultivate that network, but it's not just statistics and how many thousands of people are following you, but how well do you really know them and how much do you actually care about them and check in on them? Instead of always looking forward to increase that number by one, like, check over your shoulder. Like, how's everybody been doing? A lot of people forget to check in with people and a lot of people are hurting. Nobody's fine. Like Mike, when was the last time you said to somebody, Hey Mike, how, how's it going, Mike? Oh, fine, Brian. No, nobody said that since at least 2019. So if COVID did one thing, right, it was the RIP of the complete BS veneer of the non-conversation. Hi, how's the weather? Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. All this typecasting stuff or babble doesn't help. So standing out like that, you, you clearly don't hang out in the Midwest enough, Brian. <laughs> Why is that? I I live in Cincinnati, man. Why? Because everybody talks like that? Uh, 
I mean, no, I'm, no I'm kidding. There's, there's no, a lot of, I'm half kidding. There's, there's a lot of uh, Minnesotans, at least. That's like the weather is still a core part of the conversation. I mean, fair. They say in the Cincinnati. Time. How is everything? Oh, you know, it's great. It's sunny today. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to derail the conversation. It no, no, but like, it's fair. They do say in Cincinnati, if you don't like the weather, wait 15 minutes. I totally get that. But it just shows that you're untrained at the art of the conversation. If like, so we have this non-conversation. Hey, Mike, how's the weather by you? Oh, real good, real bad. There's a tornado. It's a heat wave. It's snowing out. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Oh, it's so nice. And it's like, it just deflates the whole level of energy. And you won't remember that conversation. There's nothing to it. There, It wasn't a conversation. You just at, you, you treat it. You're like, hey, Siri, I mean, Brian, what is the weather like outside? <laughs> this is a good use of AI, by the way. All right. So whatever. Oh, whoops. I just said, hey, Siri. And it just, hey, be quiet, Siri. We're just kidding. All right. Sorry. Sorry, artificial intelligence. Don't take us over yet. All right. So generosity. Got that down. Network. Got that down. And really honing your craft. I think that a lot of people never really attain mastery and they're constantly like reinventing themselves. I think that if you look at people like Malcolm Gladwell, who talk about the 10,000 hour rule, some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people say you don't need 10,000 hours to master it. That's absolutely correct. You do not need that much time. But when you go past that and you're like really on like the elite mastery level of the world, this is a circle, right? So if you are known to be generous and have a great network that can do a lot for people and have like this war chest of awesome things that you can do for people. That's like an unstoppable circle. Somebody should make some kind of visual on or something. Huh? Yeah. I, I, I may know somebody yeah, that's yeah, good at making visuals. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of uh, making visuals, and usually we talk about the kind of the case study all the way through you, we went, all over the place to a certain extent today, which is my fault. I, I take tangents sometimes. I think um, great. That being people said, people like this stuff. I, I think dialogues did. are interesting, but I love conversational content myself. Yeah, I, I'm very so. Let, let's talk about an example. Sure. Like, there's there's one specific one I want you to talk about because it's not real. I mean, it's sort of B two B. Depends on how you think about B two B. But it's a really interesting example mm -hmm. of okay, how, like. How do you break the mold yes. of content? Yes. So you, you know the example I'm talking about. Sure. I'm just going to let you talk about it for a Let's few minutes. Let's do it. So this kind of goes back to people not really understanding the markets and getting trapped in the vanity metrics of things. So you as a marketer might look at something and say, well, I'm good at XYZ skill set, and I can tell the story of that, and I can chat GBT this, and make a graphic about that, and do this press release, and everybody's talking about the tools and tactics. And they don't necessarily think several abstractions up where there is a level of influence that you can play on, that you can win so big that it's kind of incredible. Imagine, if you will, that there is a Venn diagram in your business life of two circles that matter. One side is you get to work for awesome companies with giant brand name recognition. And if you saw the logo, everybody knows who it is. Everybody who comes to your Thanksgiving table, if they're in marketing or business or not, doesn't matter. Like everybody knows the name of this company, right? So that's circle one. Circle two to the right is you do something amazing, but they might not be a famous company or whatever, but you do, you achieve something that's great. Now the Venn diagram, which is the two circles that overlap. So you've got the overlap piece in the middle 
that is the legendary category where you do something really amazing and it's for something that's famous. And that's usually why people ask me to talk about this one. So once upon a time, so we're talking about the world of basketball. We're also going to talk about the world of baseball. But first, let's start with basketball. We'll go back to baseball. Then we'll go back to basketball. Let's go. So once upon a time, a particular NBA player's agent came to us and said, hey, we have this player. He's just starting out in the league. He's amazing, but he's getting overlooked. Go get him millions and millions of dollars. And we're like, well, okay, we can try that. That sounds like a kind of a big ask. Can't guarantee that because we're not like the company owners that make these policies, but let's do what we can to influence the internet and see what we can do. So here's what we did. Back to baseball. Once upon a time, there was a really cool Brad Pitt movie and book called Moneyball. Moneyball tells the story about sabermetrics, which is the weird crossover between the sports nerds and the data science nerds. And they have their own subfield called sabermetrics, and they all hang out at like MIT and stuff like that. So once upon a time, baseball was a weird sport where everybody who looked the part was looked at by scouts, and they figured, well, these guys look really athletic. They look like they're home run hitters. They look like they're the strike them out guys. And they went like that. And that was nonsensical because at the end of the day, there were a lot of people that were overlooked because they didn't look the part. So to ruin Moneyball, I mean, come on guys, like Moneyball didn't just come out yesterday. So I'm not like spoiler alerting it here. So you don't get a, a warning, uh, warning content over on this one. Whatever, go see the movie if you don't know what I'm talking about. So they changed the game through data science because they say that like, if you're just making all the runs, you don't have to have the fanciest looking people and data changed that sport and it became a true innovation. And then teams with less budget started beating everybody. And then everybody who wasn't doing this became a dinosaur overnight. So then everybody had like their cool sabermetrics data science department. And then it slowly but surely started creeping into other sports. One that was a little slow was basketball because basketball is a lot more one-on-one -on -one and bravado and Michael Jordans and all that kind of stuff. So they were a little resistant, but it's time had come. So we said, hey, industry, aka basketball, we think you're kind of doing it wrong. And there's a new paradigm shift coming to basketball, which is this whole sabermetrics thing. Case in point, if you just looked at it from a data and exciting story and emotional perspective, you would find that there's this incredibly hardworking young man that's getting overlooked, but stat for stat, pound for pound, including some cool advanced statistics, this guy's gonna be amazing. So why is this team sleeping on it? And then everybody in the media started going crazy. Like ESPN commentators were starting to talk about it. It was like just blowing up all over the place. Like Twitter was going nuts about it. It was in like all these giant publications. And right before the trade deadline is when team owners have to make decisions. Do we keep them or dump them or what do we sign them on? He gets a $64 million contract of his dreams, continues to play well for a few years, and then gets a $180 million follow-up. Even if you don't care about basketball, there's a lot of interestingness to it. If you ever saw the movie, uh, The Hustle, it's one of Adam Sandler's new movies. Um, the key basketball star in the movie, when he is like playing everybody on the court, plays up against this guy who's Tobias Harris, who plays for his 76ers. And there you go. So you didn't, you didn't get into this maybe in, in uh, as much detail, but uh, we, what you all did was you created, I mean, I, I'm sure this is only part of it, but you created an infographic that told this story, yeah. right? And that then got pitched to various publications. It got picked up yep. and the buzz started happening and then everything else that you described, right? So the, the key for me in this 
is well actually I, I'm curious let me ask you a question um, did his I mean I'm, I'm assuming like what his agents or something came to you guys or how, how yeah, did this exactly. whole thing come about so because so they came to you and said hey tell, tell our story better yeah yeah they said this person is totally going to be like an incredible player one day but he's relatively new he wasn't well known yet he was kind of honestly he was getting a little bit underplayed so there was a lot of problem with that and if they're the ones that are just pitching it it seems kind of very self-serving right like yeah sure everybody's gonna say great stuff about themselves so a lot of times even the largest companies or famous brands or different entities need um like some other kind of entity to tell the story otherwise it looks very heavy-handed and Mm self-serving which is good because if you think about what we do like i also have like a journalist hat so i'm not going to have a client ever boss me around and tell me how to do something to influence what they want because they're biased and I'm not. Like I don't have to live inside their four walls and think about their incremental decision-making on it. So I'm going to, especially with all the different fields of knowledge that we've had to disseminate through the years, I'm going to see a lot of different patterns and things that are interesting across a lot of different lateral knowledge across industries that then we can all triangulate and say, Oh, nobody ever thought about, you know, dog food, marijuana, cybersecurity, and sabermetrics. So let's do this, right? Not that I have something specific as almost regulated. Mike's like, what does that product look like? I don't really know where he's going. No, I'm not going anywhere with this. Sometimes the end of the story is that the sometimes the path to it is more interesting. No, so I'm just saying, like, we could just from all sorts of industries pull some insights. I get that- it nobody's really looking at because it's very rare for companies to go across that many industries. So we're narrow, but we're wide. It's more like a prism, right? Yeah. No. And uh, maybe the the place to wrap this up really is it's really about, uh, and tell me if this is a wrong way to summarize it in your mind. Um, It's really about thinking, okay, there's a story here that everybody sort of expects and understands, and it sounds similar right. to what everybody else is saying. What do we know and how can we tell the story in a different way that makes it more interesting, that, t- that pulls in some of these you know, emotional strings, if you right. will, for the people that care, for the people that have influence on decision. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are overconfident in what they know. And I think a lot of times um, there's a movie called The Big Short and it opens with I don't know if this is a true attribution, but I think it, they attribute Mark Twain where it's something like, it isn't the stuff that you don't know that gets you into trouble, but it's the stuff that you do know that isn't so, which sounds very rhymy and Mark Twain-esque. But I mean, that's what it's about, right? Yep. It's showing people that there is a different way of looking at stuff. And when you can be the company that really portrays your industry correctly and in a broader way that people are like, oh, this isn't self-serving, this isn't heavy-handed, then you get an oversized share of the win. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Brian, this has been an awesome conversation. I hope everybody else enjoys it. Once we put it live, some great tips in there for sure. And I think it's a good place to wrap it. So thank you so much for your time. This was pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the master marketer show. We'll be back next week with more B2B marketing success stories. 
visit our website, www.proofpoint.marketing, for the full episode library, complete with show notes, guides, templates, and more. Make sure to follow Proofpoint Marketing on LinkedIn and YouTube so you never miss an episode. Listen every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.